Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Always a privilege to have you here. Of course, I am Dylan Bowman here today with a special guest, one of the most respected and hardest working people in the trail running community. Jamil Curry is the founder, owner, and CEO of Era Viper Running, the media and events company based in Phoenix, Arizona, that is now expanding around the United States. They have a full operation in Colorado, and it was just announced recently that Era Viper would be acquiring White Mountain Endurance, a five race series in New England, bringing their wildly popular race experiences to the East coast for the first time. I've wanted to have Jamil on the show forever, and it feels like this was the perfect time to finally make it happen. We talk all about what makes Jamil unique, the origin story of Aravipa, lessons in leadership. We talk about Aravipa's media arm, their recent expansion, first to Colorado and just recently to the East Coast. We talk about lessons in growing and scaling businesses, the current event landscape in the sport and Aravipa's position within it, and a lot more. I have so much respect for Jamil, and I am so grateful he would come on the show. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. As usual, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by our good friends at Speedland. You may have seen that we just began pre-order on the fourth commission, the fourth shoe in Speedland's product history, the GSPGH, inspired by the newest Speedland athlete, Mr. Cameron Haynes, and his local mountain in Eugene, Oregon, Mount Pisgah. For those who don't know, Cam Haynes is a legendary bow hunter, outdoorsman, and trail runner with several 100 to 200 plus mile races under his belt. He is also a podcaster. You should check out the Keep Hammering Collective where his good friend, Courtney DeWalter, was a recent guest. But his shoe, the GSPGH, is on presale now, like I said, with delivery anticipated this fall. So please do go check it out. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the pre-order. Also, the GSTAM is still available, so please go ahead and grab another pair of those while you're at it. Thanks so much to Speedland for their support of the show. Plugging a couple more things here before we get to the episode. Make sure you check out Subhub and their podcasts recently. They did a lot of great stuff uh, there and on social around the world championships that happened last week. Big shout out to MK Sullivan, one of the co-hosts who finished ninth in the short trail world championship top 10 in the world shout out to mk make sure you tune into broken arrow and the broadcasts coming up this weekend i will be hosting alongside corinne malcolm the vk is friday and the 23k is sunday and we will be doing some elite athlete panels throughout the weekend as well. So make sure you go follow along and also play fantasy. Fantasy is open for the VK, 46K and 23K at Broken Arrow and will open soon for Western States, which is coming up so soon. We've got some dope prize packages on the line. So go to fantasy.freetrail.com and get your picks in. Thanks everyone for being here. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Jamil Curry, welcome to the podcast, buddy. How are you? Thanks, Dylan. Doing great. How are you? So good. So good. We finally got our technology sorted out here. And you have been my white whale of a guest uh, since I started this podcast. You're like the busiest person on planet Earth. It's tough to get a hold of you. And I'm really grateful you'd make the time to come on the show. Appreciate your patience. <laughs> 
Um, I have a relatively new tradition here on the podcast, Jamil, a nice little icebreaker, a self-reflective place to begin our fun conversation today. And that is just what makes you, you, uh, if you're forced to honestly evaluate yourself, like what are your strengths and weaknesses as a human being? How does it show up in your life and in your work? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, I think, yeah, I've got an interesting mix of qualities, I guess. I definitely like to do a lot, a lot of different things, follow, like pursue my passions pretty heavily and go pretty deep in them. And so I, I probably tend to overcommit and take, take on too much. It's just part of my nature. And like, I'm willing to kind of work as hard as it takes to get stuff done. Even when I have no more room on my plate, I just add more on top of it. Um, and I think that's probably a weakness I would say, (laughs) and I don't know, maybe a strength is always knowing or looking for a solution and, and problem solving my way through the task and obstacles ahead, uh, to overcome things and, and challenges and issues that come up in, in work and in life. I have a similar thing about over committing and putting too many things on my plate. And I think it's born out of not wanting to disappoint people, but then I end up disappointing people because I overcommit and then ultimately I'm not able to follow through. Is that something that rings true for you too? I think it's happened for sure. And I think part of it, yeah, not being able to say no in, in certain situations and not maybe fully understanding everything that it takes to, to commit to that thing. Yeah. Well, you've done incredible things and we'll talk at length about the amazing business that you've built and all the great things that you've contributed to the trail running community. But I wanted to begin in the obvious place and that is, what does Aravipa mean? Where did the name come from? And where did, how did you arrive on that brand and moniker for your business? Yeah, I mean, we, I kind of started my business by taking over a race, which was the Havelina hundred in 2008. And so that was my initiation into race directing. I had joined the sport a few years earlier, volunteered a ton, just fell in love with the sport, everything about it and had the opportunity to take over that race. And then a year later took the leap from I did a year of tax accounting out of college and then hiked the Arizona trail and could had like a split point where I could have gone back, gotten my master's of accountancy, gone for my CPA, all that, and just kind of gone into that desk life, so to speak. And instead decided to build a local trail series here. I saw that there were people in other states. There was Tejas Trails in Texas, Joe Prusitis and his wife. And then there was Wendell and Sarah Doman in California with Pacific Coast Trail Runs kind of made a living out of organizing events and some of them did coaching and some other things. And so decided to build a trail series in Phoenix and I wanted a unique name for the business. And I had been to Aravipa Canyon, which is in South central Arizona. I just loved the name, thought it was unique and decided to utilize that as our, our company name. Accounting school, huh? I was going to ask you, like what you perceive as your strengths, like what parts of the business come naturally to you and and what are the things that you struggle with? Maybe 
explain that a little bit because I'd love to hear more about like where that accounting brain might show up. Like are the spreadsheets where you feel more most comfortable? I mean, I, it's funny. I took an accounting course the fresh my freshman year of high school. We had something called the Academy of Finance, which was a collection of business courses that I took all the way through high school. Like we even had to dress up, I think once a week, like wear like business casual attire, which is kind of funny, but <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I always enjoyed the bookkeeping like for small business accounting, which is basically what I'm doing now. And I was just instantly good at it and, and understood it and got it. And so I think it's definitely one of my strengths is understanding like I can just get it. I have like a sense for the numbers and things like that. Uh-huh. Just reviewing, reviewing through it. So, but yeah, I took, I always wanted to own my own business growing up. It's what my dad and his brothers did and and his dad before him. So it's kind of for better, for worse in my bloodline and something that I always wanted to do. I just didn't know what that business would be. And so I just kept go, kind of going through the motions of school and and college degrees and getting my first job until I found that thing that clicked for me. And that was event direction or was it more or less that you wanted to build a business within trail and ultra running? I mean, I just wanted to build a business, but I think I, it was just all about what's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I was, was keeping my eye out for what that could be. I spoke to Matt Feldick, the director of marketing for Aravipa, and I asked him whether you were more of a vocal leader or more of a lead by example guy. And I've had a theme on the podcast recently. I talked to Craig Thornley and just recently Dale Garland, and both of them had great things to say about leadership. So I'd love to hear your contributions as well. Like how is, uh, you know, being a leader changed for you over the years and how do you view your own leadership style? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of a great leader I am sometimes. Um, like I feel like I see my faults a lot and like, I'm really, I like, I probably just, this is real introspective here. I'm just being real honest here, but, uh, I probably need to step back from some things and focus more on that. Like I could probably, I need to to listen to these podcasts. I actually really enjoyed the one with Craig. I, I don't think I've listened to the one on Dale yet, but it's not out I, yet. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what Matt said about me, but, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I have a long way to go and a lot to learn. No, he, he had only positive things to say. It was me who asked him, you know, is cause to me, I don't, you know, obviously I've never worked for you, but if I had to guess, I would guess you're more of a lead by example guy, not like a rah, rah, get everybody on the bus type guy. And, you know, I just wondered sort of if that is, I've always in my professional life more admired the lead by example people, right? The people who are willing to roll up their sleeves and do the dirty work. And Matt relayed the fact that, you know, you still to this day, even though you've built this incredible company are not above, you know, setting up pop-up tents and doing the dirty work, you know, making sure the porta potties are ready for all the runners that you're accommodating at your events. And so, you know, I wondered maybe if in building this business, you know, there obviously is sort of like a leadership element to it, to where, you need to set the vision and rally people behind it. And to what extent, you know, you've, 
that's evolved for you and to what extent you've sort of like improved at it over the years? Yeah, no, I love getting my hands dirty still, even though it's not as much as it used to be. Uh, I think I took on this challenge to start a business because I wanted to be out in the field. I remember even early on, it's like, oh, I'm out here marking this course and scouting the trails. This is my job. How cool. And these days I spend majority of my time sitting in the office, which is kind of funny how that works out, uh, kind of the shifting over time. But I think it's evolved so much. And, you know, I, up until this last, this last year, I hadn't really directed a race in a couple of years and I've kind of gotten my hands dirty in that again. And my role has evolved. I mean, I think a big part of being a leader is, is obviously empowering your team, delegating out and then letting go and letting them figure it out the way they would. I, I loved what Craig said, and I'm I'm still working on it as a leader to not, when I feel compelled and see something that maybe I would do differently, to not just jump in, just to kind of let things go and and let them figure it out. I think Craig was talking about being on the radio as Western States is happening and letting his RD2 handle the situation and the matter and almost being like, on the tip of his tongue, wanting to jump in, but being like, I can't do that. I think it was because he was going to run the race. And so he, he like knew that he wouldn't be able to do that and kind of jump in and solve that problem for them. I think that's a really, a pretty amazing thing to be able to let go of that and lead by vision. And then obviously you can assess how it went afterwards. But I think that's something that I'm really trying to work on myself. Going back to what you said earlier about sounds like you have some family history with entrepreneurship and people who you were able to look to who had built businesses. Now, just thinking back to the podcast I recorded with Dale, he said that he comes from a long line of educators. And of course, he made his career as a teacher for more than three decades in Durango. Any uh, examples or, or people that you look to that you admired growing up that really set you on this path of entrepreneurship? I most certainly looked up to my dad and what he did with his business and and likely inherited some things that maybe aren't compatible with where I want to take things now, like some maybe a couple bad habits, all, all the love to my dad and, and everything he did. I mean, he he was a bit of a workaholic, I think, mm-hmm. growing up. and worked extremely hard uh, to provide for the family. And I think I I tend to fall in that trap sometimes as well. I'm trying to be more mindful of that. Another big role model for me, which I think has really ingrained itself in the way we do things at Aravipa, uh, was Roger Rublick. And he is he's a hard rocker. He's a longtime Phoenix ultra runner. He Him and his son, Jimmy put on Havilene 100 they host across the year used to host across the years have been involved in the hard rock community they owned the Wyman hotel for about a decade and there was a couple of things about Roger number 1 also crazy workaholic he would he would work so hard to get things done and he'd do a lot himself which i also then i'm like i'm going to do it myself i'm going to do all these things but then also the customer service aspect, you know, he's in the hospitality industry, his whole, most of his career, he hosted weddings at Nardini Manor. 
he had the hotel. So I got to see, you know, they wanted to create an experience for people and to really give them a ton of value for showing up. So it, from the swag that they got, from the the attention and detail they give into the meals and just all these little details, these things that you might overlook is something that was really ingrained in me as I he kind of mentored me in my early years. Everything that we did was all about runner experience and providing an incredible time. And I think we've really taken that to heart here at Aravipa. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Going back to the family element, I met your mom for the first time at Black Canyon. And most people will know that your brother, Nick, has also been a member of the trail and ultra running community for, what, almost 20 years now. I'd love to hear what role they played in getting Aravipa off the ground and in introducing you to trail running as a sport and to what extent they still play a role in the business. Yeah, uh, I would say, I feel like I was probably the instigator in a lot of it. My parents weren't really runners before I got into it. I had a couple cousins that ran cross country and then I eventually did as well in high school. Um, but it, yeah, it was, I think I might've found out about the sport and then quickly my brothers also jumped in and then my parents kind of after that, but my family was instrumental in the formation of, of Aravipa running. Of course it was, it was me initiating it, but then they were there to support like right away. So they're, they're kind of just offered to help in any way. So whether that was come and help and volunteer with setup with, the aid station with cooking meals. I mean, we grew up in Boy Scouts too. So when we had that first race and we needed more equipment, we just borrowed it from the scout troop. It was very grassroots from the beginning until we were able to kind of accumulate some equipment in those first couple of years. And even in the early years, I mean, Nick, when he was still in college, his, I think it was his college thesis project was creating a timing system. So he wrote code for computer programming and and made like a rudimentary RFID tracking system that we used for the first couple of years, which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, and it's evolved over time. You know, Nick, Nick joined the company full time after college. We worked together. And then he eventually left and went on to pursue uh, a career in computer programming, uh, which he's been extremely successful at over the last few years. Does he work at uh, Amazon or something? He worked, he did work at Amazon and now he's at Google. Okay. Yeah. Talk about sharing the sport and your journey within it with Nick too. Cause he's a couple years younger. I went and looked at ultra sign up and I think you had 138 results and he has 135 results. So you've accumulated like immense amount of experience in the sport alongside each other. It's an average of seven and a half or eight races a year. Can you talk about sharing that journey with Nick and sort of what it's meant? Yeah, it's really special. I mean, we're me and Nick are the closest in age of all my siblings. There's four of us total. And all of my siblings have run an ultra marathon. Uh, my sister, I think, has only done a couple. My brother Nathan's done a handful, but me and Nick really dove in headfirst and have had pretty great careers. And he's he's tended a little more towards the flatter, faster stuff, maybe a more well-rounded resume. And I've been a little more on the, the longer, more extreme mountainous stuff. But 
yeah, it's been really cool to share miles, share experiences, pace each other, race each other, and then support each other throughout this journey. It's really amazing. How did how did you two get into it? Because you were both very young at that moment in time. It was 2005. I think you were both in your early 20s. And it was fairly unusual at that point for people of your age to get into trail and ultra running. How did that happen for you? Yeah. I mean, I ran in high school and I was in college. I was 20 when I ran my first one. I ran, I wanted to just see how far I could run at some point. So I did a with the whiskey row marathon, which is a dirt road marathon in Prescott. And then I was running in a half marathon trail race in Phoenix. And I saw someone, I think it was Paul Benet. He was wearing James this shirt. Dad? Yeah. <laughs> nice. And it was like this long sleeve. This trail run was right after the first of the year. And it said 24, 48, 72 hours on the sleeve. It's like, what is that? And it said across the years on it, I go and look it up on the Arizona road racers website. It's like, Oh, that looks pretty cool just kind of started learning about this sport of long distance running of ultra marathons told my brothers. Cause we we're all geeks about running Nick and Nathan were both in high school. Still, we all signed up for across the years, 24 hour race. We're like, there's no minimum. We can just walk and run as we please. Let's see how far we can go. We all ended up running our first ultra together at this 12 hour night training run. They had in September, a couple months before. And we all, ran around 50 miles. They had never run further than a half marathon. They were also in the middle of high school cross-country season. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's kind of how it all started. It was was really fun. What a journey, man. 18 years. And you're still going strong. You're only 38 years old. You got at least another 18. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) knock on wood, I'm still healthy and still able to do it. So pretty cool. Awesome. So back to Aravipa, man, it's been just remarkable to see the business grow over the last, you know, sort of like 10, 15 years since I've been in the sport. I know what it was founded in 2008 or 2009. That's 2009 officially, but I did organize the 2008 Havelina 100. Okay. So it started at the 2008 Havelina. At what point did it, it sort of outgrow your personal capacity and maybe what are some of the things that you've learned about like growth and scaling of a business over time? Yeah, I was, uh, man, I probably should have thrown together a better timeline, but I mean, the first book eventually, yeah, probably the first five years was mostly just me and then eventually Nick and my family being involved And I mean, early on, we just had a handful of events. So it was mostly just us and then some volunteers. Uh, I think a big, our first kind of big move was uh, hiring Haley Pollock when she came on board. I remember, I forget even her first job title and what we exactly hired for. I think we just needed maybe some, just some additional help. I actually think it was maybe around the time when Nick might've left. I was like, I got to get some help here and, and brought her on. And and that was instrumental in our growth uh, to kind of go from the early beginnings of literally just me and my brother and a, a family business to becoming something more. And then through Haley's help, you know, we eventually hired 
kind of an office manager who became a race director jubilee and then i think the first time we hired for an actual race director we hired noah doherty who came to us his brother and him started the mogion monsters so that was kind of the some of the early early beginnings of hiring actual staff and you know some have moved on but we have quite a few that are still with us today which is really really great so maybe let's save the lessons from growing and scaling for a little bit later. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about Jubilee because I don't know her personally, but I know she is loved within the community and I'm sure she's made a lot of wonderful contributions to the business. So maybe talk about Jubilee because from what I understand, she was introduced to the sport by volunteering at one of your races and now she's one of your race directors. So maybe paint the arc of that story for us. Yeah. I mean, taking a step back, funny enough, I feel like some of our best employees are our top volunteers and that's how we find them. And that's how we recruit them into the organization. They're already there out of their own free will. And they're already, you know, a big part of things. And I think that that's, it's been one of our most successful recruiting tools over the years. So Jubilee volunteered. I think her story she volunteered at the Havilene 100 one year and I think kind of was just willing to do whatever. I think ended up sitting behind the timing tent late through the night, greeting runners as they crossed the line. And then, you know, through Haley talking to her, we needed some additional administrative help. And she eventually joined us as an office manager. And then, you know, her talents, she comes from a theater background and me seeing what some of these bigger races are doing out there, UTMB, it's not just, we're going to put a race on, we're going to hang a banner and draw a line in the sand. Like a lot of, I think the U S ultras are and were, I mean, their event is very much about the theatrics from like, they choose a song to play at the start and they time it to begin at a very certain time. And then there's lights and there's all these things that they put into it. And that was always attractive to me. Like I wanted our events to feel more like a production, maybe not to the extent of the European scene, but if you came here, it was going to kind of blow your socks off in some way. And it's evolved over the years. It started small and it's grown and and not every race is like that, but, but some of our big events do have that. And, and Havelina hundred, I think is, it's kind of this perfect marriage of, that vision and then all of Jubilee's talents. I mean, the things that she brings to that race are like no other in the sport. And I think that's really special. Can you describe it a little bit? Because Havelina is still one of the American classics that I've never been to. Embarrassingly, eventually I'll get around to it. Maybe this fall, but you know, from every and you know, everybody I've spoken to who's experienced the race, it's one of their favorites. So maybe how does Jubilee personally kind of take that one to the next level? Yeah. I mean, first off the costumes that she wears, she's got upwards of 20 or 25 costumes that she's constantly changing into. And then the way that her personality comes out when she's on the stage with a microphone, she hypes people up, she gets people pumped up. It's just an electric energy. And then the support team she puts around herself when it comes to selecting the DJ that joins us. And we just keep adding. There's performers and there are... We we had a, an additional 
person come out just to coordinate lighting and a light show, like as people are running down that final column that he's over there, like almost like a DJ for lights. I don't know what you call it, but that he's like out there for hours, just making it look cool at at night as people are finishing. So like all of that together just creates this electric atmosphere. I think she had a dinosaur performer this year where it's just like walking around interacting with people and yeah yeah so cool the light show man the the professionals who probably make their living traveling to different electronic music festivals they show up in the desert and they're like god these people are even weirder than the the people at the uh at the raves etc so well and that's where we draw some of our inspiration the the dj that we pull in for Havelina 100 he organizes this event in Phoenix called the full moon festival. And they host these huge multi-thousand person parties every couple months on a full moon weekend. They started it in their backyard and it grew to these huge venues where they get a couple thousand people to come out. They've got DJs and all kinds of stuff going on. Awesome. So Havelina is effectively the full moon party of trail and ultra running. This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two-ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, my increasing training load, and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product, and I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized, and especially in my training. I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs, and it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners, so go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com, look up the ketone IQ, use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off. hvmn.com, use code FREETRAIL20. So going back to to leadership, I think, you know, you've not only been the leader of the business, but I mean, Aravipa really stands as a leader of the sport as a whole. And you guys have been such pioneers in so many different domains. Um, But before we get to the successes, I wondered if maybe you could point to any kind of failures or mistakes that you've made along the way and some lessons learned through that process. Yeah, I mean... I don't know if you call like the cancellation or elimination of an event a failure. I guess you could. Like we've had, we're not willing to, we're willing to try stuff and fail for sure. Like we don't know if it's going to work forever or we do something and it, at some point we just can't keep doing it. Um, I've learned a lot over the years, whether that's, oh, this piece of content doesn't work or this video fell flat or this race was a lot of work. And we didn't, you know, we lost money or didn't make money. So we had to eventually cancel it because it no longer fit the amount of effort we were putting into it. So, yeah, I don't know if you want me to touch on specific examples, but I guess 
we're if not something comes to we're mind going, yeah yeah like the silverton 1000 was an event that roger and i cooked up and we hosted it for a number of years it was a very niche event it was on a one mile loop in silverton and the initial concept was based upon this 1800s challenge of a thousand miles run in a thousand consecutive hours, one mile at a time. And we're like, well, that sounds fine. The guy did it. But what if you did it on a loop with the most gain possible? It's like, okay, <laughs> we're going to create this event. And it it turned out to just be basically a six day race on a mountain and we never got more than maybe 40 people to come out in total, but it was while it existed, it was this really cool event. Like we basically had to ask our kind of some of our staff members to just come and volunteer for the week, yeah. which is kind of wild um, that we did that. But, you know, we, we were like losing money on it anyways. It was just, we had this cool idea. We wanted to spend a week in Silverton, just hanging out and, built some amazing relationships with people that came and had some great times. It never made the front page of Ultra Running Magazine. It never got a huge following. It was very weird, but it was fun while it existed. It's so funny. I've been thinking about this too. Just like, you know, just because something is a good idea and that people like it, it doesn't mean that it deserves to exist like as a business. And for you hosting a six day race that probably takes a lot of manpower and logistical demand to get 40 people out. You know, of course you have to make that cost benefit analysis as a business owner and decide when and where to utilize your resources. So, uh, I mean, for us at the time, I mean, I think we got a lot of personal value out of it, which I think is a good reason to do something. We got a vacation, where we just got to camp out and I don't know, hang out with our local community for six days. But yeah, like we set up again, this was Roger Rublik we're talking about. He would, he would drive his 60 by 100 foot wedding tent from Phoenix. We would set it up over the ice rink at Ken, the Kendall lodge. Like, so we would set up this massive event tent for this and then we would set up tents inside and it's this huge production that like, if you build that out to someone, it would cost like probably who knows, like tens of thousands of dollars. And I mean, what ended up killing the event was the town of Silverton, like double or tripled the rates they charged us. And it was like the, the fee from the town was going to be more than the entire revenue of the event. And we're like, yeah. We love this event, but we can't do it anymore. So was this Roger guy, is that who you said you inherited Havelina from? Yeah. How did that happen? Because it, Havelina is, seems like the most perfect possible race to, to hand off to the next generation. And obviously seeing what Aravipa has become from that humble beginning, you probably do look at Roger as being sort of that initial kernel of inspiration to, to set you on this path. I mean, I attribute pretty much everything to him. The very first ultra that we ran was at his Nardini Manor property in Buckeye, Arizona. And that's where across the years was held. So ran my first ultra with him there. Um, he got me he was my connection into hard rock because he owned the Wyman hotel and he was renting a house just behind it for his family. He said, Oh yeah, come on up. 
just camp in my backyard. So that's what me and Nick did. We just set up our tent in the backyard of his house and we, we did trail work. We did course marking in 2007. We just jumped in and then all those conversations with him over the years. And we, we just started volunteering it across the years too. We would go out there to help with registration, whatever they needed. We would sit in the timing tent. We would help make videos for them. We would take pictures. We would help post. Like we just loved the community. We loved the sport and we tried to give back where we could. So it was easy to give back with Roger because they're just such a welcoming family. And, you know, we just loved like talking shop, so to speak. And, you know, when we were up in Silverton, the Kendall mountain run ended up falling on his lap to help organize. And so we would just volunteer there too. So it was just a very organic thing. We would exchange emails about ideas all the time. And he knew I was interested in organizing events or taking a larger role. And so because they bought the Wyman hotel in Silverton, it was extremely hard for them to have to come down to put on Havelina. They were still kind of at the end of their season for the summer up there. And so that's kind of how, how that started. They were like about, they're like, we can't keep doing this. You know, maybe you could, could take this on. Wow. What a great story. I've never heard of Roger. It sounds like I need to do a podcast with him too. Having been an owner of the Wyman Hotel, a previous race director for Havelina and the original inspiration behind Aravipa. I bet he's got a lot of great stories. So, um, yeah, so many back to, back to the stuff that you work on. I'd love to talk about media and your media efforts. You were such an early adopter of YouTube and vlogging and podcasting and of course live streaming. When did you kind of determine that you wanted that to be a focal point for Aravipa and how does it fit into the business? Because if I look at it and correct me if I'm wrong, I would guess that it's not like a major revenue generator for you, but it's more of like a service to the community more or less and and a way to market the Aravipa brand and the event portfolio. Am I wrong in that assessment? And, and sort of tell me at what point you, you started moving in that media direction. Yeah, great questions. I think I always have been doing that. Even from the early days of helping Roger at Across the Years, there, it, there does exist, I think, somewhere deep inside of YouTube, like from two, I think YouTube started in 2006, but probably like the 2007 across the years, there's like a YouTube channel for across the years. And I helped make and edit these little videos. They're super grainy. They're terrible, but it's like, okay. And then Nick and I, we would, or the early days of our Aravipa races, we would take turns. One of us would be at the start finish line. One of us would go out and take the course photos and we just kind of self-taught And we would take videos too. So like we were always in the mindset of how are we going to promote these events? Well, we got to get photos and videos and we got to talk about these races. And in the early years, we could, we only had so much bandwidth to do it. I mean, we had no money to pay anyone to do this. And I don't know that there was really anyone to hire. I mean, we certain, we did work with someone for Havelin 100, Will Lafayette in the early years, he would always take photos and but we would we would always be taking photos. We always want to have a photo album to remember the event, to share with the community, to show people. And 
I think once some of the operations started going off my plate and I didn't have to direct every single race and do every single task of every event, my bandwidth was opened up and I don't know, I wanted to create content for people like you said, to kind of as a community service, really. I mean, I never was like, oh, I can't wait for the the checks from YouTube to start rolling in or, you know, do brand partnerships. Like that wasn't on the mind early on. It was, I want to share this experience or I want to help people. And yeah, at the end of the day, I knew that that is going to help build a brand. It is going to help build events. If you can distribute to a wider audience, that is going to be valuable. And yeah, I mean, I think the media, we're not, we don't necessarily see a direct dollar return every time we make a piece of content. Sometimes it's a lot of work and we put, we've got a lot of media marketing people on our team. And sometimes I do wonder, is this outlay worth it? You know, can I track this? I don't know. You know, we, we put on a 102 hour live stream of Cocodona. Can I show there's this many more signups? I, I don't know. Yeah. But I think, Long-term brand building is important and it it's very rewarding to hear from the community how much people get out of it. And and I think you definitely do hear it later. Sometimes it's I do hear it quite often when I'm out and about. Hey, because of your video from five years ago, I got into the sport. And I don't just want to talk about myself as a content creator, but I I think content creators, YouTube podcasters like i think youtube is pretty unique people sharing their personal journeys being and creating race films those i think are some of the most important things to grow the sport i think more so than a lot of the advertising or commercials that maybe shoe companies are making i think those are good but I don't know. I don't know the reach compared to like, are those inspiring people to try the sport? I think it's more the personal connection with the people that are sharing their journeys that gets people into the sport. And you said you were totally self-taught. Is that a reflection of, uh, you know, an innate technological ability or has it had a big challenge in undertaking? Because now looking at all the things that you do, 102 hours of broadcasting, at Cocodona, and it started from taking photos at the Kendall Mountain Run. You've probably learned a lot over that time. I'd love to hear how, you know, that education evolved. Yeah, I think it goes back to the very start of our conversation when I talked about one of my strengths being, I'm going to find a solution to get there. E even if it's scrappy, I'm going to figure it out. And I think I've, I've always been interested in technology. I recall in, God, I have to remember when this was. It might have been in, I think it was in high school, maybe. I took Nick and I, I think both took a community college course. It was like how computers work. And so we, like, we wanted to understand the hardware and the software and everything behind. So we took this community college course when we were in high school, just like you build yourself a, a computer and you learn about the motherboard and the RAM and all the, the hard drives. And we had computer parts and taking it apart, putting it back together. So I think that's kind of been all, always been with us. And Nick went way deeper on the computer programming side. And maybe I manifest it in a different way. Like, oh, how can I construct a live stream 
specific to the sport of trail and ultra running in remote areas where no one's written the book on that, but these technologies kind of exist. And how can I do it myself where I'm not just hiring it out to a production company, but I'm fully understanding from the software side, from the hardware side, from these different pieces of technology, how can we solve the problems at hand? Like, okay, we have no cell service in these areas. Well, how can we get coverage? Cell phone boosters or drones or whatever. How do we do that? And I just love that part of it. I love kind of tinkering and and trying to problem solve that. As a business owner, how do you balance the service to the community element with the practical X's and O's and spreadsheets and accounting practices that you were steeped in in school? Because, you know, thinking back to like Bandera earlier this year, where you guys just traveled down there and live streamed the race, it was an incredible service to the community. You sold some advertising against it, but I know that you guys lost money on that, you know, and, you know, part of it is good for the brand, right? But that's a leadership decision that you have to make, right? You're covering those costs, you're paying your people to go down there. So maybe use that as an example and and how you come to those decisions about like being of service to the community versus doing what's practical for the business? Great question. I like, if I had to just say it from the heart, it's like, we lead with the heart. I would say in those scenarios, that's what it feels like. It's like, Oh, when we broadcast black Canyon in 2021, it was for me, it was a challenge of can we do this? Can we figure it out? And for me, the reward was we were able to do it. And that was to me enough to justify the expense and the time and all that. It was like, I feel good that I was able to figure out how to plug a drone into the live feed and to broadcast remotely and to tie it all in and to produce it. That was that was incredible. And then the response from the community was a cherry on top of that. And so for the Bandera, I mean, I pretty much immediately reached out to the other golden ticket races because what I thought would be important for the sport was telling the, having consistent storyline and wow, what if we could live stream all of the golden ticket races in the whole series? Plus then Western States was going to be live streamed. Like we need that as a sport. We need that for the races, for the athletes, for the community. That would just be so cool. And so nothing really took off that first year, I think, for various reasons. Um, I don't know. Well, Starlink didn't exist. So it was like technologically, it wasn't really possible. So when Chris reached out from Tejas Trails and was like, I think we should do this. Yeah, we said, let's do it. And I didn't create a budget and be like, okay, how are we going to make this work? I just said, yes, we'll figure it out. And for me, I don't know, like, I feel very fortunate in, in life. Like my passion is my business, which is good and bad. I think there's pluses and minuses. I think my running tends to suffer a bit. You know, I look at Nick who has like an outside job. I think he gets to put a lot more into his training. I feel like I have the race director curse of when I get busy with work, I just throw my running out the window, um, for whatever reason, but, uh, where am I going with this? Um, like I'd rather kind of spend my money on 
these really cool things for the sport, then just make sure that we're profitable at the end of the day, um, which we obviously need that to exist as a business. We can't run a deficit in perpetuity. So hopefully testing the waters with something like the Bandera live stream is something that will eventually come back around in some way. But for us, it felt like the right thing to do. And I don't regret it for a second that we did it. Well, on behalf of the trail running community, thank you for broadcasting Bandera. It was a great production. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the new salted margarita flavor of Gnarly Hydrate made with extra sodium, 500 milligrams per serving to be exact. As we head into the summer months, hotter weather means more loss of fluid, means greater need to supplement electrolytes. You guys know I am an electrolyte evangelist. Sodium, magnesium, chloride, and potassium are critical for proper hydration level, nerve function, muscle function, and body pH, all important stuff for performing at our best out on the trails. Guys, this product might be my favorite gnarly product of all time. You must give it a try. Delicious margarita flavor, some savory saltiness to it, and all the electrolytes and B vitamins you need, especially for us salty sweaters. As they say, it tastes like the real thing, but it won't make you dance on the tables and it won't make you wake up with a headache. Gnarly Hydrate Salted Margarita. Find it at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. So going back to the growth and expansion conversation, I want to first tackle the move into Colorado before we touch on the recent news of the move into the East Coast community. So maybe just to talk about Colorado briefly, if you could just kind of introduce the origin story of Aravipa, Colorado, and then we can kind of draw a contrast as to how that model is different from this White Mountain Endurance expansion. Yeah, I think we've grown pretty organically over the years with Aravipa running and of course, our the very first event that we produced was something that we inherited or took over that pre-existed. And then we've also created a lot of events over the years. The first thing was the Desert Runner Trail Series, which is our local trail series from short distance to ultra marathon distance. And that filled a need in our local community. And those became successful. We added a night trail running series and and have kind of added events, both from, I guess you could label it an acquisition, um, took over existing events, also created a lot of new events. You know, some events we've taken over crown King scramble across the years, Tushers, Kendall mountain run. We've created a lot of events, black Canyon, Flagstaff, sky peaks, um, Cocodona, things like that. So at some point we've we filled out the geography of the state of Arizona. We filled out the calendar. We filled out the variety of events. We've got track races. We've got long distance point to point races. So, you know, for us, if we want to continue to grow our business, support our team, provide more full-time opportunities for our staff so that we can retain people, you know, we, we were looking for what's next for us. And so, you know, we looked, well, we could expand regionally into some other states and kind of talked about this model of how would we properly support more events that are a little bit more outside of our geography. You know, we have our office, our equipment, you need equipment to put on these events. Like, as you know, like you can't just 
this isn't a digital product, whereas the, the media side fully is, where you could just have a studio and you can produce things to reach people all over the world. Like we actually have to physically go there and bring ice chests and tents and pots and pans and all that good stuff. And it becomes expensive to haul this equipment over state lines. And when you get further away than eight hours to drive, it becomes very expensive and you're outside your main community. So we kind of identified if we want to expand to a state that is further away from where we are, we're going to have to establish a presence there. We're going to need an, at some point equipment and an office and a team. And so we identified maybe the correct distance away that we would need to be. And that, that turns out to be, you know, for Colorado, Denver or Colorado Springs is a good distance. And what we ended up doing was we, we looked for someone that could become our regional manager, maybe you would say, sure. <laughs> like, that's not the term we would use, but our, a race director in Colorado. And so we hired someone who actually came to Arizona, organized all of our mountain biking races for a season with the idea that they would launch the Colorado division. They would work on permits, all of that for basically a whole year before we would launch and, and help find an office. We would buy equipment. So we were basically starting from scratch and, and that's what we did. We signed a lease on a space and we hired someone and we, we set out to organize a calendar of events. And, you know, I think we found there was some hurdles in that method. There are some incredible races and incredible series in Colorado and, um, permitting is different than Arizona and also things just take time. You can't just go from zero to a thousand in one go. I mean, maybe, maybe UTMB can because they've got this built up demand of earning running stones towards the most popular, well-known trail running race in the world, UTMB Mont Blanc. Mm -hmm. They've got this carrot that they can use to launch a new race successfully from the get-go. Like they can announce something and say, we're coming to your region. You can earn your stones locally. And you're going to have an instant demand, but for something that's brand new that no one's ever heard of, you know, how do you build that up? And then when the permits take six months longer than you expected and all this stuff, like it just starts yeah. to add up. Is, and, is patience something that comes naturally to you? Because this is one of the things that I really struggle with, with free trail, right? It's like, we have this constant, like incremental progress and I'm just like, come on, we need like a big break, you know, like some sort of hockey stick move that sort of launches us into, you know, our next chapter. But at the same time, understanding that things do take time, right? Especially when you're trying to build a small business. Have you struggled with that? I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure. I, sometimes you're like, why, why isn't this event more popular? It has all the pieces, you know, why isn't Mogion Monster a sellout event when registration opens, when you see all the other September hard rock qualifiers, they sell out in a day and they have 400 person wait lists. You're like, hello, <laughs> this event is incredible. It's brutal. It's, it, it's amazing. It's diverse. It's all these things. Like all you people on the wait list, you could just come over here and fill up this race. Like we have 40 spots left and there's 400 of you. So yeah, I feel it. But sometimes you're like, just have to be patient. So yeah. 
Cool. All right. So let's talk about White Mountain. Explain this new expansion, how the opportunity presented itself and, and why you determined it was the right thing to do. Yeah. I, so yeah, I don't, I don't have like a, a specific vision totally for this company and where we're going, believe it or not, but we do have an audience around the country and even globally, and they love our events and they love what we do. And we often hear, you know, when are you coming to my backyard? And it's flattering to hear that, of course. It's it's really cool. And so I have continued to think about over time, what would that look like? You know, what would it look like if we did expand beyond what we're doing here in the Southwest? Where would we go? How would we do it? And just from the learnings of Colorado, I think, you know, the idea of again, kind of inheriting or partnering up with another organization felt like something we would want to try out at some point. And we were reached out to by Christina Fulsick, who owns White Mountain Endurance. And she came out to run Havelina, fell in love with it so much. Her and her partner actually bought a house out here. And so we'll, it's kind of cool because they'll be living here in the winters, which is really awesome. Snowbirds. Snowbirds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Perfect. And you know, she's been building a great series up there for a number of years and and navigating the permit challenges in the region and and all of the local nuances and putting together some really cool events, but also ones that are starting to get more popular. And for her, she I think she didn't want to do it all herself. And as you know, as you grow and add team members, she was at the point where she needed to add team members. It was becoming too large for just herself. Mm. And I think wanted assistance in doing that. And so, yeah, she reached out to us and to me and, and it felt like we had shared values and it was the right decision for both of us to join forces. So maybe going back to lessons from scaling, right? Like in making this investment and expanding to a totally new geography, obviously it sounds like Christina is going to s- sort of s- be absorbed within Aravipa and will likely help with, you know, sort of keeping the momentum going with the races that she already created and just have the greater support of the organization. But it is probably a, a big move for you guys, a big investment for you guys. Like how do you ensure that you're, setting it up for success, you know, giving Christina the resources that she needs and ensuring that this is a good investment for Aravipa. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those risks, right? I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. So I think it's all about constant communication and, you know, we are making an investment here, right? Like we're, we're trying to we don't want to just change what she's doing and be like, you have to do it this way, but it's more of how can we help you? How can we enhance? How can we utilize some of the systems that we have found worked well for us and the lessons we've learned and make those available to you, take things off your plate so you can focus on the things you love doing the most, which for her is dressing up in a costume and being out there with the athletes and being out in those mountains. Like I think she loves being out there and providing the opportunities and having a blast on race weekend. I think it was either you or Matt or 
maybe just the Aravipa account put up something about racing a cog or a race that's coming up that you're going to be live streaming. It sounds like you're going to be sort of bringing the Aravipa live stream experience to the East Coast for the first time. So maybe just give that a quick plug. I don't know if it's coming up this weekend or in the future. Yeah. So White Mountain Endurance currently has five events and they're all really unique, which I like about them. It's not all just there's five races in a series that are exactly the same. We're just doing it five times in a different spot. So race the cog, it's a pretty new race. This is only the second year of it. And it's, it climbs to the top of Mount Washington, which is the highest point in the Northeast. Some of the wildest weather in America, as people may know, it was just snowing up there yesterday. And there's a famous road race that goes up to the top of Mount Washington. And so this is the next weekend. And she established a relationship with the the Cog Railway. There's a Cog Railroad that also goes to the top of Pikes Peak. I think those are the only two in North America. And there might be a third one in somewhere in Europe. There's not a lot of these. It's Mm -hmm. kind of a, a special thing. And so she made a relationship with the Cog and... So there, there will be three waves of runners. There's an elite wave, an intermediate wave, and a chill wave. And there's three different cogs that race at different speeds. And you race, you start at the same time. And so it's human versus cog to the top. It's 2.75 miles, 3,500 feet of gain. <laughs> nice. It's almost like going to the top of Kendall Mountain straight up. It yeah. is from, I've not done it, but very steep. And we thought we do want to bring some of our talents to the East coast. And we, again, this is one of those situations. We don't have much lead time. We don't have a ton of resources, but we're like, we've just got to make this happen. So we're going to do our best and we don't yet know how it's going to work out, but we're going to live stream the cog. It starts the same day as Western States, unfortunately. So as the gun goes off for the Western States, 100, we will go live for race the cog and it will start a half hour after the start of Western States for the elite wave. We've got Joe Gray's coming back. He actually beat the cog last year. Wow. And so it's only about a 40 minute race for Joe. So I think people should be able to watch the the beginning of Western States. And as they lose service over the escarpment, <laughs> you could you could flip over to Aravipa's channel Dude, and you you're could stealing catch, my viewers, man. You're stealing you, my you viewers. You can have two windows, okay? <laughs> two windows. You can have two windows. But <laughs> two you can laptops. catch Joe Gray and see if he's gonna beat the cog. Um and it's it's gonna be a short broadcast. It'll probably be like two hours in total. We just wanna highlight it and people could go back and watch it later. Um but we we thought this would be this seems like the one race that we could put a live stream on for this year out in the Northeast. So cool, man. So cool. Well, congratulations on this expansion. I just have a couple more things before we start winding down here. I'd love to hear you just kind of like meditate on the, the urge to grow as a business, you know, like obviously Aravipa could exist as a super healthy, profitable events business and, or I'm sorry, in in Arizona before this expansion to Colorado and to the Northeast. What gives you the the urge to to grow the business rather than just sort of make it easier and simple and probably just as profitable, right? It's the steep life, Dylan. Yeah. It's like doing the hard thing. Make, yeah, doing it even when it doesn't make sense sometimes, but I don't know. That's no, a great I question. 
I mean, I think steep life is the the perfect um, justification, right? Just like it feels good, it feels right. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, it's continuing to inspire, share the love of the sport, create things that we don't see existing out there, continuing to touch lives and make a difference for people, bring communities together, highlight amazing stories. I mean, that's kind of what guides us a lot of the time. And so that's kind of what has driven these decisions so far. Well, again, thank you. Because if you're only buried in spreadsheets, you may not make those gut and instinct led and heart led decisions. Like you said earlier, final question before my, my closing philosophical questions, I'd just love to get your take, you know, obviously this is an interesting moment in the history of the sport. You've been in the game for 18 years and Aravipa, I think sits at a, an interesting place within the sport. Obviously we're seeing all this consolidation and, you know, you guys remain super important, um, you know, event media business and remain independent during this period of consolidation. And when you see big brands like Ironman and Spartan come in who have, deep pockets, huge budgets, lots of experience, big brands. I'm just wondering how, where you see Aravipa within that landscape, within that ecosystem. And if there's anything you want to say about, you know, goals for the future, I'm sure people would love to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think we're obviously a, becoming a larger player out there, um, but we are, you know, we aren't owned by a huge parent organization. Um not to say there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the shoe companies, a lot of the brands in the space are part of very large corporations. But I do think, I think where Aravipa can continue to be in the in the place is a larger organization that that is still independent, and we have our values, of course, which is going to be more community based, which is going to be all the things that I just talked about. And so we're maybe that, that a, a kind of alternative for that and something that's just a little bit different where we're going to make decisions a little bit differently than, than maybe someone like UTMB. And, you know, I have a lot of love for UTMB and I'm actually just a little bit of the way through Doug's new book, which I think is just fascinating. Like reading about the origin stories, it reminds me a lot of, of my origins with the Paletti family and everything that they did. It was, it was just really cool how they kicked off. And I mean, what they've accomplished is just simply amazing. I mean, they've, they've created just like the most iconic event that you could probably possibly imagine the way that it draws together. The communities is, is something really special. Um, but you know, and I don't know, this is maybe like, we're going to go and we're going to live stream some race when maybe someone else says it's impossible, or even though the quality isn't up to some standard, we're going to do it anyways, just because we want to try it. And, and maybe a, a brand that has a different set of qualifications would not. Mm. So I think that's what you'll see from us maybe is we sometimes do things that may not make sense, but they're valuable. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for that. Couple closing questions before I let you go, Jamel. The first one is who is one person that you admire, can be inside or outside of sport, living or dead, and why do you admire that person? 
Yeah, this I struggled with this question, to be honest. Um, I think I mentioned a lot of people in this episode or talk um, who, who certainly could fit that bill. But I think one person I wanted to highlight, this popped into my head for whatever reason, is Skylar Hall. I think, you know, even though, you know, we're friends and we we kind of have this um, little bit of a working relationship on some aspects, I, I look up to that guy a lot. I think he he gives back a lot to the community. He juggles a lot of different things. He always finds time for people. Like I can't believe how in tune with so many things he is with the sport. He truly cares about people, the future, the way, the things he does with, uh, with the youth and definitely look up to him a lot in a lot of ways. Love that. What a great shout out to Skylar. Final question for you, Jamil. What is one truth that you've learned that's semi-profound that you wouldn't have otherwise learned through either your participation in trail and ultra running or in running your business at Aravipa? Man, I get, I don't know. That's tough. Uh, and I know you set these to me in advance too, to think about, but follow, I guess, follow your passion and that'll lead to good things. Perfect. <laughs> Don't need to say any more than that. Well, Jamel, man, I've wanted to have you on the show since its inception. I'm really grateful you would come on. I'm really glad we were finally able to do it. And it sounds like in the spirit of giving back, and when you mentioned Skylar, I, I guess I'll be seeing both of you guys at Western States. Billy told me you're going to come and volunteer flying a drone for us for the live stream. Is that right? Yes, sir. I should, I should get there. I think around Forest Hill is when I'm slated to start. Of course, last minute careening into town with your with your drone just in the nick of time to save the day for us on the broadcast. Well, well, Jamil, again, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to chat. Thanks so much, Dylan. There you have it, folks. Thanks so much to Jamil. What a guy. Like I said in the intro, I just have so much respect for him and what he's built. It's so clear that he and Aravipa have good intentions with everything they do, and we are lucky to have their presence in the community. Free Trail Pro members, let's keep the conversation going. Jump in Slack. Let me know what you thought of today's episode. If you're not a member, join today. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there are a ton of perks and a free trial. Visit freetrail.com to learn more. Thank you to our sponsors, of course, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 on the GSPGH or the GS TAM. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. And HVMN, visit hvmn.com. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off the Ketone IQ supplement. Appreciate y'all for listening. Love you dearly. It means a lot to have you here. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.